Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and open up to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. I want to talk to you this morning about the Christmas uh, story that we find there in, uh, in the second chapter of Matthew. Uh, if you've got your Bibles open, follow along with me, beginning in verse 1 there. The Scripture says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, Father, we thank you for the message of Christmas. And, Father, we know that the message of Christmas is still relevant to our lives today. Would you take your word this morning and with your Holy Spirit, would you challenge our hearts and minds? Would you convict us, Lord? God, cause any that do not know you to come to understand who you are. Teach us, Father, from your word. Give us principles to live and to walk with you. And Father, uh, cause us to be different when we leave than we were when we came in. All for our good and for your glory. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my God, my rock and my redeemer, and it's in Jesus' name we make our prayer. Amen. According to the Pew Research Center, uh, just a few years back, about 9 in 10 Americans, that's 92%, and almost all Christians, 96%, say that they celebrate Christmas. Surprisingly, a big majority, 81% of non-Christians in the U.S. also celebrate Christmas. And that includes 87% of the people who have no Christian religious faith. It includes Asian American Buddhists and Hindus. Among Americans overall, the study told us that about half, that is 51%, say they celebrate Christmas as mainly a religious holiday, while roughly a third, 32%, say that to them it's just simply a cultural holiday and that nothing more. Americans by and large, believe that the elements of the Christmas story, the, 
the study showed, reflect actual historical events. Uh, more than seven in ten people say that Jesus was indeed born a, of a virgin, and 81% of the people in the survey said they believe he was laid in a manger. But listen to this 75% say that they believe the wise men were actually guided by a star to the place of Jesus' birth and then brought him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And it's that part of the story that I want to focus on this morning as we talk about and think about Christmas and the birth of the Savior. And as the statistics reveal, most people, whether they're Christian or not, are familiar with the story of the wise men's journey to Christ. And most believe that 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 story is true. Now, we believe it's true because it's from the Word of God. But most people out there, Christian or non-Christian, believe that that story, this story that we just read, is true and that it is important to understand it. It is a story full of lessons, uh, and it's a story that we can still identify with and connect with today. And so, I want to show you some things today, four things in particular about the journey of these wise men that I believe will help you and help me experience the real significance of Christ and Christmas in our lives. So let me give you these four things. The first thing that I want you to get from our passage is that these wise men followed a supernatural star and it led them to the king. We see that reflected in verse 2, we see it again mentioned in verse 9, and then even again in verse 10. And at first they come to Jerusalem, they've traveled from a long distance, they come to Jerusalem, and this is their first thing, where is the king, because we have seen his star. Now, there's a lot that we don't know about this star. In fact, there are some who tell us that it wasn't actually a star, because at that point in time in the uh, uh, astrological clock, uh, there was a comet that was moving across uh, uh, space. And so there are some who say it was just a comet. There are some who say it was uh, like an asteroid and it, it was big and it lit up uh, a place in the sky. There are others who say it was, in fact, uh, a, a star. The fact is, it doesn't matter about its origin. It was supernatural because of of when it appeared. And by the way, if God is the creator, he is in charge of, of the natural as well as the supernatural. So if it is a comet, who cares? God put it there, right? And he put it there to use it uh, to bring these wise men to, to Jesus. And so they followed this star, supernatural star, a, a miraculous star, because it appeared at the very time of Jesus' birth. Okay, so if it's a comet, it still appeared at the exact time of Jesus' birth. It's a miracle because it appeared to Gentile wise men in another country. Think about that. These wise men, probably from Persia, uh, they see this thing, and they know it's something special. And then it guided them to Jerusalem, uh, where they, we see, worship Jesus. We'll talk about that. And, and it appeared at that very moment in history uh, where they recognized that there was a new king, and they recognized what kind of king he was. Uh, now, these wise men, you ought to know, were not kings themselves. They were not uh, uh, kings. Now, they were noblemen, most likely, from their country, uh, maybe even priests, 
but they combined, uh, you know, some nobility also with uh, astronomical ability. Some believe they were like, like uh, 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 astronomers. Whatever the case may be, they played in their country a pretty significant role. They were political and religious and had prominence in their land. And here's an interesting thing, I think, to note, and that is that it was generally accepted during this time that many people would see signs in the skies, like maybe a comet or a shooting star. And you know what these people uh, did? Anytime they saw something like that, which would included this genre of these wise men or noblemen, when they saw something, they had come to believe that it represented the eventual demise of some kind of royalty. In other words, that if they saw a comet, let's say, or they saw a shooting star, that they had come to believe that means there's going to be a ruler who's going to crash or going to, going to fall. And so uh, they had come to believe that. In fact, they believed it so strongly that in Rome, it was not uncommon for one of the emperors in Rome uh, to banish any astronomers who said, oh, there was a comet or a shooting star and that means somebody's going to fall. So the Roman emperors, what, you know what they do? They'd banish anybody that made those kind of predictions. They'd say, get, get rid of them, exile them, get them out of here because I don't want to be the one that they're talking about. And they thought, you know, out of sight, out of mind, which is kind of dumb, but that's what they would do. For example, the emperor Nero, a wicked Roman emperor, uh, years later after this even reportedly slaughtered many of the noble people, the royalty in his empire in hopes that their death rather than his death would fulfill the predictions that had been made about a comet. So what he thought is instead of it being me, I'm going to just kill a whole bunch of these other noble people and maybe it'll be about them instead of about me. So I'll go ahead and take, take care of it myself. Well, uh, think about this. These magi were uh, they, they came from pagan nations. They worshiped pagan gods. But God had chosen to reveal himself to them. Isn't that interesting? He chose to reveal himself to these pagan nobility instead of the religious people of his day. And they got it. That's what's even more interesting. And uh, that, that this, uh, these pagan kind of noblemen understood that that a new king was born to the world. And the religious people of the day, the ones who knew about it or knew that it was supposed to happen, they didn't get it. Look at verse 5. It says, they told him, this is the king, the chief priests and the scribes, they told him that, that the king, Christ, the Messiah, was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. They knew the scriptures. They knew what the scripture taught about this Messiah who was coming and yet they still did not get it. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? And then you take these pagan nobility, and they got it. They put it together. Why? God revealed it to them, and they got it. It wasn't that these guys couldn't have seen it. It's that they didn't want to see it. They didn't want to recognize it. You know, there's still people today, and especially at this time of year, every year we hear about people who don't want to identify Jesus Christ in Christmas. They don't want to do it. They, they, have you ever wondered why that is? Why we hear so much of that today? Just like a full third of people who uh, celebrate Christmas said, we don't connect it at all with, with Christ or religion. Why is that? Because once you connect Jesus with Christmas, and I would say to you, you can't disconnect him. You can go back in, in, 
from the beginning of Christmas celebrations. And guess what? It always gets back to Jesus. You, you can't separate him. But, let's, but our culture wants to, wants to, to separate the two as if Christmas has just always kind of existed apart from Christ. Now, why does our culture like to do that? And why did these uh, religious people of the day uh, not want Jesus to be the Messiah? Because here's why. It's still true today. If you recognize that Jesus and Christmas are identified together, it means you have to take serious who Jesus was when he came into the world. And so that's why if you ever wonder why people today celebrate Christmas, but they don't want to uh, identify it as, as a, a, a time of recognition of Christ, it's because the culture says once you recognize Jesus, then you become responsible to who he is and what he, uh, and what he did for our life. And so so the religious people of the day didn't want to, uh, to see the birth of the Messiah on top of the fact that they thought it would be different anyway. And, uh, but these, these wise men, I, there's, something that, there's an interesting statement they make in verse 2. Look at this. He says, for we saw, circle this word, his star. You know, sometimes when we talk about this, this story, we go, well, they saw the star in the sky. But did you notice how they, Matthew records how they said, we saw his star, meaning this was unique. This star was special. And it's his star. It represented where he was, and it represented who they were. They knew that the star they saw was unlike any that they had seen before. And if, in fact, they were of the astronomy type, they would know, uh, recognize what the, the, the lights in the sky were all about. And they followed this light, and they followed it to the place of God's presence. And I think the, the, there's a lesson for us, and that is that we must be like these wise men in that we recognize the significance of Christ in our life. They knew, they traveled a great distance, they knew this was significant. And sometimes we can forget how significant Christmas really is. We can forget how significant Christ is personally to us. And so just like in the days of these wise men, God has given us a light. And that light is to direct us. We have the light of the living word of God. Jesus Christ declared that he was the living word. He is the light. In John 8, Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is the living word. Uh, he is the logos. He is the light of God that has come into the world to help us understand God's great plan for us. But I'll tell you, we have something else. Just like the wise men had the light to lead them uh, to the path of Christ, we have the lamplight of the word of God. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so we have this, this light, this revelatory light uh, to direct our lives. We have the word of God to direct us. They had the light in the sky that directed them uh, to Jesus. And when they left, I'll talk about that, they left with a new message. We have the light of the, uh, of the presence of Christ that lives in us. We have the light of the word of God to direct us. But the wise men did more than, than just recognize the significance of the star. The second thing they did is they engaged in a significant search for the king. There was a significant reason, you might say, that they went looking for the king. And verse 2 and verse 11 tells us what it was. It was that they could, so they could worship him. 
That was the significance of their search is they knew this this king was unlike any other king and they knew that the child was the king uh, unlike any king they had ever. So they traveled and they sought him uh, diligently uh, so that they might worship him. They were unashamed to declare the reason for their journey. They go to Herod. Think about this. They go to Herod and they tell him, hey, this is the reason we've come. We've come to worship this king. They say it. They declare it right up front. That's why we're here. Now, I think they told Herod that because they would assume that Herod was a wise man, which he was not, but they assumed he would be excited about the arrival of this king of kings. But he wasn't. He was jealous about the arrival. But so they, but they're not, they're not ashamed to say, hey, we've come here. We just kind of, uh, we traveled over here just to see what's going on in Jerusalem. What's going on in Bethlehem? That's what we can, no, they were unashamed. They made it very clear. And their worship is expressed through that. They came to worship him. And how did they do it? Through their proclamation to Herod about this king. They declared right up front. Did you know Did you know that one part of worshiping is declaring who Jesus is? One of the reasons we sing, and our band does such a great job, one of the reasons we sing like that is to proclaim and declare that He is King of Kings. Now, we do it as an act of worship, we say. Why? To to recognize, to identify, to not be ashamed of who he is and to proclaim who he is. And they did exactly that. Now, by the way, they publicly declared it. And actually, they publicly declared it in an environment that was hostile to the idea. Are y'all with me? And so, by the way, you and I, one of the ways we worship is we are not ashamed of Jesus. I know you're not ashamed of Jesus when you're in this room. Are you ashamed of Jesus when you walk out of here? When when you sit among the kings of this world, are you ashamed to say, I'm a follower of Jesus? Listen, let me tell you what I'm doing here. I'm a seeker of Jesus. Why? Because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They worship through their, their proclamation. They worship through their posture. Do you notice what it says? That when they found him, what did they do? Look at verse 11. They fell down and worshiped him. They came, they declared their worship, and then they fell down. Humbly, they, they, they fell. The idea is as if they found royalty and they're worshiping royalty. Now, maybe you've been in a Christmas play or something like that before. Today, if it's in public, they rarely use the manger anymore. Everybody's scared of the manger, you know. They're scared of, of all that. But maybe you've been in a play or that sort of thing. And it, or you've watched one, you know, and at some point in time, you know, the, the wise men come in with their, their gifts and their robes and their royalty, and they come in, and then they, they usually uh, walk up to the manger, and then they kneel down, right? Have y'all ever seen something like that, and you watch them come in, and then they, they kind of kneel down? Uh, I, I'm not going to kneel because I won't get back up. Uh, <laughs> but um, we've all seen that. Now, let me tell you something. That's not what happened. I like that because it represents the idea, but it's not what happens. You know what, in the Greek, you know what this means? It doesn't mean they kneel down, Bradley. It means prostrate. They came into the presence of this little baby, and it's, they laid themselves out before him. I suspect that if Jesus walked in the room today, I mean, he's in this room, hello? 
Okay, three of you believe he's in this room. Thank you very much. <laughs> he's in this room where my people, two or more gathered, I will be there among them. He's in this place. You may not recognize it, but he's in this place. But let's say, for example, that Jesus decided to physically show up in this place and walk in this place. Do you know what? Your first instinct may think, well, if he did, I'd be on my feet, man. I'd be clapping and praising God. I want to tell you something. You wouldn't be on your feet. You'd be on your face. That's the impact of the presence of God. And we see that throughout the Scripture, that when God shows up in a place, people don't stand up. They fall down. They fall before him. And you know what I love about these? They worshiped him. They fell down before him. These are royal guys. These are noble guys. They didn't fall down to anybody. And yet when they come, a baby, and they go prostrate before him. Wow. Isn't that incredible? And I'll tell you something. It is a reminder to us to understand the importance of us humbling ourselves and sometimes laying out before him. Have you ever done that? Look, have you ever done that? Have you ever just laid yourself out before him as an act of humility and just said, God, I'm just, I recognize who you are and I recognize who I am. Their posture was an act of worship in the presence of the king. But let me tell you, it was also their presence. Their presence were given to honor the new king. Did you get that? Their proclamation, their posture, and the presence that they gave to, the, to this little king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They were gifts that were uh, befitting a king. And I don't have time to talk about all those gifts, uh, but all of them had symbolic significance. But let me ask you something this morning. Are you trying to get through Christmas this year? Or are you trying to get to Christmas this year? You know, a lot of people, they get excited about the Christmas season. Here it comes, here it comes. And then when they get in the Christmas season, you hear people going, man, I'm just, I just want to kind of get through this thing kind of get on the backside of it. I'm glad when it's here. I'm glad when it's gone, that kind of thing. I want to tell you something. The truth is, instead of trying to get through Christmas, we ought to try to get to Christmas, to the real Christmas. That's what they were doing. They were trying to get to where Jesus was, get to where the king was. And let me tell you, the way you get to Christmas is by worship. If you'll worship him, if you'll look for opportunities, and I want to challenge you to do just that, and it's hard to believe we're in the middle of December, but I want you to look for opportunities to worship the King of Kings. That's how you get to Christmas instead of trying to get through Christmas. How can you do what the noblemen did for Jesus? Well, number one, don't be afraid to declare him king. Don't be afraid to, to say, Merry Christmas, Jesus Christ is Lord. Don't be ashamed to call him your personal king. Some people out there, may, it may be the message of the gospel to them just by your confession. You can be like these. No, they didn't go to Herod and say, um, there is a baby born who may or may not please you. And that baby is um, important to some people. So we have come to see the, uh, that, that child. But we're not taking a position we don't see any of that. That's 21st century. Well, would you be offended if I like Jesus? Well, I just, you know, some people do and some people don't. Hello? 
Don't be ashamed. You want to be like these guys? Don't be ashamed. Don't, don't be ashamed out there. I know you're not in here, and I assume you're not out there, but don't be, don't be ashamed of Jesus. He died for you. That little baby died for you. I love that scene right there. The cross and the manger together. Because you see the shadow of the cross hung above the manger when Jesus was born. He was born to die. He came into this world to die. How could we possibly be ashamed of him? Don't be, you want to be like the, the, the nobleman? Don't be ashamed to call him your king. Don't be ashamed of it. Worship him in humility. Submit to his lordship. He is Lord. You know, uh, that means, as Paul said in Romans 12, that we present ourselves as living sacrifices to him, which is reasonable, Paul said. It's a reasonable thing you ought to do to a king. It's the reasonable response you ought to have to a, a, a Savior born for you, is to, 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 do it, to say, Lord, here I am. I present myself as a living sacrifice. Give gifts. Yeah, it's okay to give gifts. I bet you've already got some. I bet you're giving some. We do, and, and we love doing it. And, but do you know where the gift-giving idea is, uh, comes to us from? It comes from the gift that God gave to us. So when you give to someone else, you know, it is all appropriate to say, I give this gift to you because I love you. I give this gift to you because it is a reflection of the gift I received. I've been given a gift. God came into this world for me. And this gift is just symbolic of the fact that God has given me a gift. I give gifts to people I love just like he became a gift to me because he loved me. Does that make sense? And then you can give gifts to God. Did you know that? You can, they brought gifts to God, didn't they? You know what your gifts to God uh, may be? Well, it can be your best talents. It can be offer yourself as a servant to him. God, here, I, I give myself back. Do you know that's what God, he doesn't need anything you have. But when you give whatever, maybe yourself, your resources, whatever, guess what? You're saying, God, I give this to you. You're honoring him because you're saying, God, you're above all things in my life. So I give myself, I give my talents, all of that kind of stuff. I give it to you. I give gifts. And then there's a third thing I want you to, to see in our story here today, and that is that these wise men experience spiritual satisfaction in the presence of the king. I love this part. This is my favorite part of this, this story and, and the message. What was their reward when they got there? Did you see what their reward was in verse 10? Simply joy. We don't see anything where they say, we got here, man, I was expecting more. We're in a stable. I thought, I thought more would... No, their, what does it say? Their reward was simply joy. And, and by the way, it's not any kind of joy. The, the, this phrase in the Greek, exceeding... Uh, do you see it? Exceeding, the rejoice with, exceedingly with great joy. That, that phrase in the Greek means that on the scale of joy, this was the ultimate and highest level of joy that they could know. I mean, you, you, can't, you, can't, you couldn't experience a joy on a greater level than what they experienced. That's what it means. And the idea here is that, listen, the joy of Jesus Christ makes our journey worth every mile. They came a long distance, 
And when they arrived in the presence of the Savior, what was their reward for all this travel, the ups and downs of the travel that, that some believe it could have taken as, as long as months and weeks? What was the reward? They got there and joy was their reward. Exceeding great joy. It was worth every inch of their travel. And I want to tell you this morning, if you'll seek Jesus and the joy that comes in him, it'll make the ups and downs of your life worth every inch. It'll enable you to take the trip and say, it was worth it. It was worth it. Now, by the way, we see that after they, they got to the presence of Jesus. Sometimes you're going to think, well, I, uh, I can't, I, I'm not experiencing that joy. Where is that joy? The joy sometimes is found in the journey itself. Some years ago, many years ago in my ministry, I found myself at a place where I'd lost my joy. And I, I, it, it dawned on me I, I, that I was doing the functions, but, but the joy was just not there. And God was still doing things, and using, but, but the joy was gone. And I, I began to realize something, that the joy was gone because I was missing God in the journey. Don't miss God in the journey. You see, they were following God in the journey. The star was from God to lead them. They were following God in the, the journey. Don't miss the joy in the journey. We have destination disease sometimes. We so focus on where we're going that we miss out on what God's doing right now. And if you miss out on what he's doing right now, you're going to struggle with having joy in what's going on. Let me tell you something. Walking in the presence, and we have the Spirit of God to go with us. And walking in the presence of Jesus and, and living in the presence is the ultimate expression of of joy. Do you know the psalmist wrote in Psalm 16, verse 11, says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Now, there are some of you here today, and you've lost your joy. And you're going through the right motions, but you've lost your joy. And I'm going to tell you something. Keep doing the right stuff. Don't say, well, I don't have any joy. I'm not going to do the right. Keep doing the right stuff, okay? But seek a new the presence of God. I'm going to get back in His presence. I'm not just going to do the right stuff. I'm going to get in the presence of God. And guess what? You'll have new motivation to live for Him. In the presence of Jesus, the psalmist says, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. So how's the joy factor in your life? Some of you need an infusion of joy. I don't mean happiness. There's too much confusion today on this idea of being happy and being full of joy. And they are not the same thing. That's why the Apostle Paul could write from a prison cell, Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. He could write and say, The joy of the Lord is my strength. He wasn't in ideal circumstances. He was in horrible circumstances. But his joy was not derived from his circumstances. And that's why he could talk about a, a peace that passes all under, uh, understanding. That's why he could say, the Lord's, the joy in the presence of the Lord, that's my strength in spite of my circumstances. Circumstances, uh, uh, happiness is always circumstantial. 
And it's always dependent on how our circumstances are. And there are a lot of folks, that, Christians, that have lost their joy because they've substituted the quest for happiness with the pursuit of Jesus and his joy. And the fact is, if you've lost the joy of the Lord in your life, it may be because you're not living in his presence, but you're just kind of popping in and out in your personal life of the presence of God. You say this, yeah, but you don't know what's going on in my life. You, my life is so hard. My life is so tough. And it's just not easy to find joy in my situation. I, I get that. Because if you haven't been there, you will be there. But it may be your, part of your problem. That is, you're trying to find joy maybe in your kids. Uh, maybe in your spouse. Maybe in your job. Maybe in uh, being liked and accepted. The only place you can, you can find this kind of joy otherwise is in your grandkids. Now, I didn't put those in there because you can find joy in them. But no, seriously, do you understand what I'm saying? If, you, if you're searching for joy in the wrong things, good things, but joy comes from being in the presence of Jesus. And that's why it's not like happiness because it, it doesn't depend on your situation. The exceeding joy that they found can only be found uh, for any of us, by living our lives in the presence of Christ, and that's not circumstantial. We don't, uh, we don't have to come and go in terms of our, our walk with Christ. About eight years ago, I was in Cuba for 10 days. I was, had the, the privilege, and that's what it was. It was the privilege of ministering to uh, over 300 pastors and their wives, and and the Lord taught me so much from being there. I, I, I don't know if he taught them anything from my preaching, but he sure taught me something from preaching to them. And one of it was to understand how much joy they had in their life. And you have to understand that's against a, an unusual backdrop. Many of them that were, that, that were a part of this meeting that, that, uh, that I was talking to, many of them had been in prison for years for following Christ. Some of them showed me scars that they had where they had been beaten because of Christ. And yet, if you looked on their face, they were so full of joy. And, and most of them lived on less than $5 a month. And how, so how this joy, how could they have this kind of joy? You know why? Because their joy wasn't about their circumstances. And when you talk to them, they were full of joy. They weren't full of bitterness because of what they'd been through. You know, you, you would think, gosh, if I'd been through what they'd been, I'd probably be angry. I'd probably be looking for justice. I'd probably be wanting revenge or something like that. There was none of that in their voice. It blew me away. What was in their voices and in their hearts was, we love Jesus. You know why? Because they had been, they had been living in his presence so much because that's all they had. They had come to depend on him, and they'd come to know him in such a personal and intimate way that they, they had fallen in love with him, and they were in his presence, living in his presence. They had that joy unspeakable uh, as they sought God with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind and all their strength. Why were they that way? It is because they had, had nothing but Christ. They lived dependent uh, on Christ. They had learned the secret They'd learned the secret of joy, and that's why they could be so joy-filled in those circumstances is because His presence is all you need for joy. It reminded me of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8 where Peter writes and says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. 
Hadn't seen him, but you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And because you believe in him, Peter writes, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Isn't that great? He's talking to these believers and he says, look, you hadn't seen him, but you, but you love him because you've been in his presence. You, you, uh, you don't see him right now. And maybe in your life you say, I don't see him right now. But listen, believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible. Peter said it's a joy that you can't even, you can't even describe it. Here's the bottom line. The joy of the wise men was not the result of their net worth or their position of nobility. Likewise, joy is not the result of, of deep poverty or suffering either. It, joy is, is, is not, you don't have to be a sufferer for Christ to, to find joy. You don't have to be uh, prosperous on the other end to find joy. Uh, joy is not about either one of those things. It's about, it, it is about seeking God and living in His presence. It's a reward of getting into and staying in the presence of Christ. So if you've lost your joy in Christ, if you need an infusion of joy, get back into his presence. Be wise and take a trip back to the manger. But let me close with one final thought this morning. I want to leave you with one thought this morning uh, about these wise men, and that is that they left with a spectacular story to share about the king. They left with this spectacular story. Verse 12 tells us that that being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, remember Herod said, when y'all find him, come back and tell me because I want to go worship him too, which we know wasn't true. But it says they they left, they were warned in a dream, they departed to their own country by another way. They didn't go back to Herod. But they left with a spectacular story. I think it is safe to say that they went back a different way. They went back as different men and they went back with a different message to their people. They had a new story, a new, a new message to bring back. And, and you can't imagine that they didn't tell others about their journey, right? When they got back, well, where have y'all been? Well, that's yeah, not a big deal. You, you can't imagine that, that, that they didn't talk about their discovery. And in particular, we have seen the king of kings. We fell before him. We've seen him. You can't imagine when they went back that they weren't different people. Years ago, I read a story about back when the American gold rush was on that um, uh, people were staking claims, particularly out in California. These two men had gone to find their fortune, and they staked a claim in an area, and they began to dig. And shortly after digging, they found what they thought was a pretty good gold vein. They weren't sure, but they thought it was a pretty good vein of gold. And so they took a sampling of that gold, and they took it into the town and to get it uh, weighed and valued to make sure it really was gold, and uh, waited on the report. Uh, sure enough, it was, it was gold. And they were all excited about getting but They didn't tell anybody about their claim. You know, everybody's looking for gold. They didn't tell anybody about it. They were so excited, bought a few more supplies, headed back to their claim. But listen, when they got to their claim, there were like 20 other people already there digging. And they asked them, said, why are you guys here? They said, there's gold here. And they said, yeah, but how did you know that? It was an obscure area. He said, oh, we saw you guys 
and we saw the joy on your faces, so we knew that you had found gold. Listen, people, you might say these wise men were the first missionaries. They went back to their places, and there was a, they were different men. There was a, a different story, and people knew it. You see, God saves us, and then he sends us back to make a difference. If you found Christ like these men, then you have a divine story to tell, and you tell it with enthusiasm. Remember who these men were. They weren't the Billy Grahams of their day. I mean, they weren't the great evangelists. They weren't pastors or preachers or anything like that. They were astronomers and noblemen, but they now had a story to tell, and so do you. You know what the story is? Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. You say, well, I'm, I, I can't preach, Brother Ray. I can't. You don't, yes, you can. You don't have to do this, but you can preach. Your life preaches. Your words preach. Your activities preach. And you know what you have, this message, when you go back there to, the, to your world? Here's your message that you, you have, and that is, I want you to know who I was and what Jesus did in me and what I am now. It's that simple. Somebody said that the story is simply telling one beggar where another beggar found food. I found him. I found the king. you got to know this king. And it's a story that must be told. The world needs to hear it. That's why we do uh, what we do here is to build up the believer, but also to reach uh, others and reach the world. And you have people in your own sphere of influence. All of us do. People in our circle of influence that need the story. You, and you can tell your story. Now, I guess it's possible for many, well, in fact, I know it is, that many uh, actually know the story, the Christmas story. They even know the Easter story about the resurrection, um, but they've never actually found Jesus. You notice the name of the message today is Finding Jesus. Because remember the statistics we saw? Most, most people, let's just use America, most Americans say they believe that the Christmas story actually happened. That doesn't mean most Americans know the Savior of the Christmas story. See, you can believe the story's true. You can believe that, that he grew up and died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead. You can believe the story, but just not have come to Jesus. Maybe you're trying to live off of someone else's story, you know, about how they came to know Christ. And maybe it's a, you're living off of mom or dad's faith or, or you're living off of a sister or brother or co-worker or friend live, trying to live off of their faith. Yeah, yeah, I like what happened to them. That, that's the story of my life. And maybe you're trying to live. But listen, you can't ride someone else's story into the kingdom of God. As a southern governor, a uh, uh, a bunch of years ago now, but he made this statement in public. He said, I'm counting on a godly mom and dad to get me into heaven. What a surprise he's going to have. I think he might already have had it. You can't, you can't do, you can't ride somebody else's coattail in. But maybe you say, well, I believe the story, but there is no joy. You see, where there is no Jesus in our life, there will be no inexpressible joy in our life. But it doesn't have to stay that way. 
Jesus, listen to this. Jesus said this to his followers in John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. What did he want? He wanted them to have the joy that can only come from God and a relationship with God. And so I ask you today, watching us by live stream, television, whatever means, in this live audience, would you like to have the fullness of Christ, of His joy in your life today? If that's the case, then come to Him this morning. Come to Him in complete humility, complete surrender. Come come to Him in submission as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come to Him that way. That's how you come to Him. Do you know what He wants to be found You can believe the story, remember, and not have a relationship. But did you know he wants to be found? Do you know what the prophet said in Jeremiah 29? If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I will be found by you. This isn't a cosmic hide-and-seek game where Jesus is trying to say, I'm trying to be so obscure that you can't find me. No, no, just the opposite. God is not willing that any should perish, Peter writes, but that all should Uh, should come to repentance and be saved. That's what the Scripture says. He's not hiding from you. He wants to be found. Our grandson, our our oldest grandson, Bodie, our uh, three-year-old, they were here at Thanksgiving and spent several days with us. And one of the things he is starting to do is play hide-and-seek. And he wanted to play hide-and-seek with Pops, and Pops wanted to play hide-and-seek with him. And, but here's the weird twist on his hide-and-seek game. He would take me into our living room, and he would put me in a chair and say, You hide here, Pops. And then he would leave the room, and then he would make a lap around the house inside, and then he would come in, and he would start running and, and yelling and screaming like he had discovered me and leap into my arms. And I bet we did this for 45 minutes. No, Pops, you stay here. He'll go out, and here he come. And each time he'd come running in, and he'd do that, and he threw his arms around me, and then he said this. He said, Pops, I love you so much. Now, by the way, he's three. If he really knew how to leverage that, he would have said, Pops, I love you so much. Could I have a, and I would have done it. But he's not there yet. Thank you, Jesus. But he did this. Now, here's why I tell you that. I wanted him to find me. It was fun when he found me. I'm glad he liked to play it that way. Do you know what God says? If you will seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. I want to be found by you. I want you to find me. It's so much fun. God is not saying, I hope you can track me down. He wanted the wise men to find him. Right? Right? If you'll look, God is trying to take you where he wants you to go because he wants you to find him. If you don't know him today, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting He's He's manifested himself to you. <clears throat> the world says, that's eh, not a big deal. It's just a cultural holiday. No, it isn't. <laughs> this is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he says, I've come into the world so you can find me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for coming into the world because we wouldn't have found you. 
And I pray right now for people that are listening to this and people in this live audience, I pray that right now, if they don't know you, if all they have is the story but they've never expressed that today, they will call upon you because you have said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Father, I pray right now in this audience, uh, over television, the airwaves, wherever it is, that God, uh, those who do not know you will call on you so that they can have the joy of the Lord, no matter what their circumstances. Father, I pray that you would speak. And I pray that we would hear and we would obey and that we would find Jesus because it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation this morning? I'll be here at the front, and I want to invite you to make a decision. You know, remember we talked about the, the wise men prostrating themselves? You know, we have a, a, an altar where you can come, and you can humble yourself before the Lord and just call Him who He is, the King of kings. I, I'm not ashamed. And, and maybe they're, you're praying for someone, or you're praying about something you know, and you need to just humble yourself before the Lord. There's something, there really is something about humbling ourselves before Him where we experience Him in fresh and powerful ways. And I want to urge you, come and, and come and humble yourself before Him. That's what this altar is for. Use it. Take advantage of it. You may be here this morning and you, you called out to Him to become your Savior. We'd like to help you with that decision. Would you slip out from the balcony or ground floor? Come here. Our staff will be on the aisles. I'll be here. Just come and say, hey, I want Christ. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. We'll help you with that. We're not going to embarrass you. Nothing like that. But we'll help you with that decision. You may be here and want to do what others have already done and say, I want to become a part of the Ridgecrest family. And by the way, if you're watching by live stream, you're getting instruction and information on how you can do that by live stream. You can join us. You can use that texting number. You can trust Christ, and we'll take care of all of those things, and I hope you will. But right here today, is there a decision for you to make? Come and join this congregation because you do know Christ. Maybe you need to be scheduled for a baptism at some point in time, whatever the case may be. As the band leads us, would you slip out right now? Don't be ashamed. Don't be scared. You come right now. Would you come on?